All right, we are continuing our study through Romans 9, 10, and 11, and here we pick up in Romans 10, verse 5. And just to make sure we, we keep the flow of thought in mind, what Paul has done from 9.30 through 10.4 is to help us understand what has happened just historically in his day and age. And that is that Gentiles are flooding their way into God's people through their faith in Messiah, and the majority of Jews are not. The most Jews are on the outside looking in. And why is that? And the reason, Paul has explained, is because the way the Jews responded to the gospel. Uh, they responded not by faith in Christ and the gospel, but as if righteousness from God were still based on the works of the Torah. And so they continued to rely on the works of the Torah rather than put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. And as a result, they missed out on the very righteousness of God that they one day had hoped to achieve. And the reason for that, Paul says, is because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And that's where we pick up here. Paul is going to begin to interact with some passages out of the Old Testament to help the original audience and us see that this indeed is actually what the Old Testament law said was going to happen. So we pick up in verse 5, and the first thing we need to say before even looking at the details is this. Verses 5 through 10 is very difficult and debated among scholars. It's hard to understand exactly what Paul is doing. He's interacting with a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's doing so in a very typically Jewish rabbinic sort of way, and yet some of the things he says and does are just a little awkward and confusing to us. And so we have a hard time really totally understanding the details of what Paul is getting at. The overall point seems clear. And that point is, is that, that Jesus being the end of the law was actually forecast by the law itself. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. And so that big point seems to be clear. It's the details of what Paul does as he interacts with this text that it's just a little hard for us to totally track his thought. So here's what I want to do. Let me suggest, maybe in, by way of summary, how I think this passage works, verses 5 through 10. Then let's read through the text with comment and come back and try to make sure we piece it together a little bit. All right. So verses 5 through 10. I tentatively suggest that the point Paul is making here is this. Now that Christ has come, responding in faith to him is the way to do the Torah that Moses talked about. And the reason for this is because Israel didn't keep the covenant. Uh, Moses actually predicted that. Uh, Israel's continuing history through the Old Testament story demonstrated that. And as a result, Israel, by breaking the covenant, ended up suffering its curses, including the ultimate curse of covenant violation, the curse of exile. Well, Moses, there at the end of Deuteronomy, actually predicted all of this would happen. He said, this is the way it's going to play out. If you keep the covenant, here's the blessings. If you break the covenant, here's the curses. Guess what? You're going to break the covenant. You're going to suffer the curses. In fact, you're actually going to go away into exile. But after exile, God's going to restore you, and he's going to renew his people. And in that day, Moses said, he would circumcise 
their heart. And thus they would actually be able now to do what God wanted them to do. So in that day of covenant renewal, God's going to circumcise their heart. They would then keep his law. And Paul's letters, uh, both Romans and others, make it clear that Paul believed that day had begun, that day of covenant renewal and heart circumcision had begun with the coming of Christ. And thus, if Israel wanted to fulfill the Torah and they wanted to have their heart circumcised, they would need to put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. That's what I think is being said here and argued in Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 10, even though the details of it are a little complicated. Let's work down through it with that summary in mind so you can hear what Paul is saying. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, 4, and that's really important. We've pointed out the four numerous times in Romans because Paul's making a very logical argument. But here, 4 tells us that this is Paul's explanation for um, why it is that Christ is the end of the law, why it is that the Jews miss God's righteousness by trying to do the law, keep the law. And so he writes, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. This seems to be Paul's way of kind of commenting on or freeing up Leviticus 18.5. Leviticus 18.5 states the Torah's basic principle is this, the man who does it lives by it. That's what Leviticus 18.5 says. That's the way the Torah works, is the Torah works by giving life for doing the Torah, right? So you got to do it to receive the blessing of it. Now, this leads naturally for Paul as a Jew steeped in the Old Covenant. This leads naturally to Deuteronomy 30, which is the passage that Paul then turns to in detail in Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. And the reason it leads naturally there is Deuteronomy 30, really Deuteronomy 28 through 30, is all about... Um, the, the covenant blessings and the covenant curses. Deuteronomy 29 notes that Israel's stubbornness and hard-heartedness is going to lead her into exile. Because of her rebellion and faithlessness, she's going to experience the ultimate curse of covenant violation, the curse of exile. But God is promising, I will bring you back. So God's going to bring her back. And when he does, uh, Moses says there in Deuteronomy 29 and 30 that he will circumcise their hearts. And in that day, they'll be able to keep his commands. And so Leviticus 18.5 says that the way the Torah works is you got to do it to reap the blessings of it. Israel historically isn't going to do it. They're going to break it and thus they're going to experience the curses of it. But Deuteronomy 30 says a day is coming when God is actually going to restore and renew them. And in that day, they'll actually be able to keep the covenant. And that's why it seems so natural for Paul to turn to Deuteronomy 30 here in Romans 10 after mentioning Leviticus 18.5. And the specific passage from Deuteronomy 30 that Paul quotes and interacts with in Romans 10 is Deuteronomy 30 verses 12 through 14. The point in its original context is that God's word is not too hard to understand and it's not too distant or far off so as to be inaccessible. That's its point in Deuteronomy 30. Israel can hear it and Israel can heed it. But the surrounding context there in Deuteronomy makes it clear that Israel will only do this, will actually only hear and heed God's word after the covenant is renewed 
after going into exile and after God then circumcised their heart and restores them, then he's going to renew them. And that's when they'll actually hear and heed the covenant. Well, Paul seems to be saying that the message about Jesus, the gospel, is the word of faith that is talked about there in Deuteronomy and is the ultimate fulfillment of this word from Moses in Deuteronomy 30. So what seems to be going on in Paul's mind is this. The exiles happened. The curse of the the law has been exacted on the people of God. And now Messiah has come and thus covenant renewal has begun in and through him. And so now the message is clear and available. Israel simply needs to respond in faith and enjoy the renewal that Moses and the prophets spoke of. And they can do that by simply putting their faith in Jesus as Messiah. That seems to be what Paul is getting at when he interacts with this text from Deuteronomy 30. Let me read it to you. And it says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. And here he begins to interact with Deuteronomy 30. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. And so Paul sees the word of faith, i.e. the gospel, as the ultimate fulfillment of this word that is near you, this word that's in your mouth and in your heart. In fact, in the following verses, he's actually going to use that language to talk about responding in faith and trust and confidence in the gospel. And so the, the ultimate fulfillment, Paul seems to be saying, of Deuteronomy 30 and that covenant renewal is in Jesus. And thus, the way to really experience the blessing promised there is by putting your faith in the gospel. So Paul goes on in verse 9 and really applies that word from Deuteronomy 30 to today, to responding to the gospel, to his original audience and to us, using the language of mouth and heart. Verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, right, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that word of faith is near you, it's in your heart, that if you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so Paul is interacting with this passage from Deuteronomy 30, verses 12 through 14, and he's saying that the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus the Messiah. And thus, the way to experience uh, the covenant renewal promised in Deuteronomy 30 is by confessing Jesus with your mouth and believing with your heart that God raised him from the dead and that he is the Messiah. If you do that, you will experience salvation. And so Paul believes that for the Jews of his day, that's ultimately how they can begin to become the kind of people who can do the Torah. They can begin to become that kind of people by experiencing covenant renewal and circumcision of the heart in and through Jesus the Messiah. Verses 11 through 13 then say that this promise of righteousness and salvation is for whoever will call on the name of the Lord. In fact, verse 11 re-quotes Isaiah 28, 16, that was quoted at the very end of chapter 9, which was the beginning of this conversation Paul is having here, to make the point that it's for whoever, whoever. So listen to what Paul says. He says, for the scripture says, 
Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That's part of Isaiah 28, 16 that was quoted right at the end of chapter 9 that launched this conversation. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, Jew or Gentile. Verse 12 makes that explicit, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. In fact, verse 13 then quotes another passage, Joel 2.32, that says, whoever will call the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it's for whoever, it's for all, it's for anybody, Jew and Greek alike, they can all experience this blessing of righteousness and salvation from God. Well, what's involved in calling on the name of the Lord? Well, verses 14 through 17 tell us. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? So in order to call on him, they have to believe in him. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? In order to believe, they actually have to hear the message about him, right? And how will they hear without a preacher? Clarify that word. We we think of a preacher. We think of a guy at a church who preaches a sermon. This word is a herald, a proclaimer, someone who goes and proclaims good news throughout the realm, throughout the empire, right? That's the idea of the word preacher here. So how will they hear without a proclaimer, a herald? And how will they preach or proclaim unless they're sent? They need somebody to send them, right? Well, guess what? Uh, Scripture even said God was going to do that, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings. And that's a description of a herald coming over the hills, bringing good news that there's peace in the land or that the king has issued this great edict of festivities or some good news. Right? That's the picture of how beautiful. And that's from the, the book of Isaiah 52. And so how are they going to hear? Well, they need a herald. And guess what? A herald has been sent. God has always intended to do that. Uh, now, verse 16 says, the problem is they didn't all believe the good news. They didn't all believe the, the report from the herald. Verse 16 says, however, they did not all heed the good news. And so even though there's been a herald, even though people have told uh, them about the Messiah and about what God has done and the covenant renewal available in him, they didn't necessarily listen. They didn't buy it. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And that quote is from Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? Which, um, that is, Isaiah 53, if you're familiar with it, is probably the most clear portrayal of the work of Jesus as Messiah in the Old Testament. It's the suffering servant passage that describes uh, the, the Messiah as one who is uh, smitten for our well-being and the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Well, Isaiah 53.1 launches that. And that's the passage he quotes here. So Paul has all of these Old Testament contexts in mind as he's quoting these things. They didn't, they didn't believe our report. Um, and yet they needed to. That's how they're going to experience covenant renewal. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word or the message about Messiah. And so in order for them to believe, They've got to hear, but in, and they've got to hear the message about Jesus. They've heard it, but they haven't necessarily believed it. They haven't bought it. So Paul's imaginary objector speaks up in verse 18 and says, well, well, surely they haven't heard. Maybe that's the problem. They didn't hear, have they? Paul says, indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. I'll just be honest. That's a diff difficult quote for me to figure out what Paul is doing there. That's a quote from Psalm 19, verse 4. Um, and in the context, it's about 
God's self-disclosure through creation. There's a later passage about uh, the, the law and the power of the law. I think Paul might just be using it generally, just basically not even really necessarily for the point made in its original context. I, I'm uncomfortable saying that, but he seems to be just using it generally to say, hey, this is what's happening. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Like God has always made himself known. God continues to make himself known. And in Paul's day, he's making himself known to people like Paul himself or other apostles, other proclaimers who are going out and speaking it. So he uses this text, it seems, in just sort of a general sense that, no, they've actually heard, and God is always interested in making himself known. Verse 19, then the objector says, well, but I say, surely Israel didn't know, did they? And Paul responds with more scripture saying, well, first Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And then Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So what's going on there in verses 19 through 20? Well, what's going on is Paul saying, look, what's happening in our day is not is not uh, out of sync with the story of Israel. Moses even said, I'm going to make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding I'll anger you. In other words, Gentiles are going to make you jealous, and they're going to stir you up, and hopefully they'll stir you up to say, man, we need to be more faithful. Uh, and so he quotes this passage uh, from Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. And then he says, Isaiah is so bold, and he says, I was found by those who didn't seek me. I became manifest to those who didn't ask for me. Again, Paul is thinking of the Gentiles who are coming in, and they're flocking into this. And what Paul is getting at is, what God intends with the Gentiles flocking in is to, to hopefully stir up Israel to say, man, we need to take a look at this Messiah thing and about Jesus a little bit more. But as for Israel, he says, they're a disobedient and obstinate people. Like, it's not that they didn't hear. It's just that they're rebellious. They're stubborn. They're obstinate. They're hard-hearted. And so it's not that they haven't had the opportunity to hear. It's not that God hasn't spoken to them. It's not that God hasn't revealed himself to them. God has done it in all sorts of ways. He's done it through nature. He's done it through the law. He's done it through foreign nations. God has spoken to Israel over and over and over again. Again, the problem isn't with God um, not making his message clear to Israel. The problem is with Israel's heart. That's the problem. And so by the time we get to the end of chapter 10, Paul has made it very clear that Israel is on the outside looking in, not because God is arbitrary, not because of any fault on God's part. The reason Israel is on the outside looking in is because their own heart is stubborn and obstinate, and they've had a history of rejecting God's word. They've had a history of violating God's commands. They've had a history of ignoring what God is doing. That's been their whole history. And so even now in the present time, history is repeating itself. They're doing the exact same thing, and they're not listening to all the ways that God is trying to communicate to them and bring them to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And so, once again, it's not like the word of God has failed, the word of God to Israel, that this is just what Israel has done. In fact, Israel's story reached its culmination point as in Jesus as Messiah, and somehow they just refused to see it and accept it and miss it. They just kept on trying to do it their own way, 
rather than experiencing the saving righteousness of God that's available in and through Jesus. So no, God's word to Israel hasn't failed. The problem isn't with God's word. The problem is with Israel and their stubborn and obstinate heart. So what what is God going to do? What happens next? Well, that's the question Paul takes up in Romans chapter 11.